Welcome to the FinTech Today podcast with your host, Carlos Cabrera, where everything is unfolded from FinTech news, personalities, and stories just for you. Hello, welcome to FinTech Today. We have two exciting guests from Intercoin. It's uh, Greg Magershark. He's the CEO and founder of Intercoin, and we also have the operations manager of Intercoin. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, this exciting project and uh, letting our listeners know more about what's going on in fintech nowadays. Uh, welcome, Greg and Norman, to fintech today. Hey, nice to be here. It's good to be here, Carlos. Thanks for having us. No problem. It's my pleasure. I am very excited about uh, your project, and I'm wondering, Greg or Norman, what makes Intercoin different from the other projects out there in fintech? Yeah, I can well, uh, answer that. And Greg, you can jump in with a little bit of detail if you want to as well. So I would say the biggest difference between Intercoin and all the other crypto projects that are trending right now is that Intercoin is a truly scalable solution for payments. We architect from the ground up, right? So, you know, it's been many years and people still don't use Bitcoin for daily payments, despite it being at all-time highs recently, right? And a big problem that causes that, as well as for many other cryptocurrencies, is that it's not scalable. And it's not scalable because many like all the transactions in traditional crypto they're done on the same blockchain right so everyone is sort of competing to be included in transactions at intercoin we built a different system for that and greg maybe you can elaborate a little bit on that yeah i want to give you a big picture so every once in a while a new transformational technology comes along Right. And it changes our society and how things work. I mean, we could go back to, you know, the wheel, obviously, and electricity. But I want to kind of jump forward and talk about what happened just in the last few decades. People got personal computers and they're able to use their own computer rather than having to use a mainframe on someone else's uh, machine. Then people, um, the Internet came out. And it really replaced the way that computers can interconnect. Based on the internet, we have so many different protocols that came out. And each of them really changed how we communicate. So the email came out. Before email, you literally had to send uh, physical mail. And email allowed us to create uh, messages to each other. And that was the beginning. SMTP protocol. Um, and then we had the web. The web 1.0 was essentially a big change because it suddenly allowed anybody to go from, before the web, you had to have access to a magazine publisher, a newspaper publisher, a TV station, radio station, something, some infrastructure had to be there and they had to reserve some channels on TV or cable or something. With the web, anyone permissionlessly can deploy their own code no infrastructure is necessary in the physical world so much. And now with the cloud, you can pretty much do it all just with code and commands. And the web led to an explosion of wealth, right? 
trillions of dollars, including business models like e-commerce, software as a service, and models like that. All of us use the web every day today, but the first web was essentially one-way publishing. You know, it was just like the TV and the radio station. Someone came up with the content, and then the visitors consumed the content, and that's it. Then, in 2002, we get Friendster. Okay, we get MySpace. This is Web 2.0. This is allowing people to connect with each other. And again, changes society. I mean, everybody today is addicted to these things. They didn't even exist before. And if you notice, each of these trends, Web 1.0, which you know led to Google, Facebook, etc., had early entrants. Like, for example, before Google, there was Alta Vista, there was Lycos Search, Ask Jeeves, and all these search engines that are not around anymore. Google kind of took that, that whole space. Then Facebook essentially came into the space of Web 2.0, and it became the next generation, right, of Web 2.0. And there's no more MySpace. There's no more Friendster, right? There's Facebook and LinkedIn. And we expect more. We expect more today than we had back then from Web 2.0 providers. So now we get to Web 3.0, okay? And Ethereum guys and others, they call this Web 3.0. Essentially, it's the web but now you can transfer value. And in order to transfer value, projects needed to solve the double spend problem, right? Bitcoin was the first project, or at least first mainstream project to really solve that double spend problem. And being a first mover, it has all the name recognition, right? I mean, intrinsically, there's not much difference between Bitcoin and Litecoin. It's the same code base, but just being a first mover, when people think about storing their value in something, they think about Bitcoin. But again, Bitcoin, Litecoin, and you know, even Ethereum, first Bitcoin was like the first generation of crypto that solved the double spend problem. So what can you do with it? Well, the big killer app that Bitcoin does is storing your money, right? So it attracted basically people who are, especially people who are Austrian economists and libertarians, the very first adopters right after the tech you know, geeks were the libertarians because they liked the idea that they can custody and have sovereign ownership of their own value, their own money. They want to buy an asset that essentially is mathematically proven to not go beyond 21,000, the 21 million uh, coins. And they like the scarcity of it. It's even better than gold because you never know asteroid mining, you might find more gold. With this, you can't. However, if you get beyond that, there's other applications that you can use cryptography for, not just storing your money, so if we fast forward to five years from now, and you know, let's say Bitcoin's a million dollars a coin because everyone's figured out that they want to store their money inside the Bitcoin network, and that's great. But the question is now that you're storing your money, what are you going to do next? How are you going to try to use it? So if everyone in Bitcoin is trying to use their money at once, transaction fees, let's say, are $100. So you're not going to use Bitcoin on chain to buy a pizza. You're not going to use it to buy really anything. That's small, everyday transactions. So what are you going to use it for? Well, that's where the second generation of crypto comes in. There will be networks like Intercoin and others that basically people will take their Bitcoin and buy into those networks because they will be actually able to use that currency. Uh, use it in the sense that they can actually um, use it in their local communities, 
use it to pay their everyday purchases, use it for loans, use it for all kinds of programmable things. Now, the second generation of crypto already started in 2015, and that's Ethereum. Right. Ethereum came up with the idea that instead of having transactions consist of just moving money, transactions could also include arbitrary computer commands in what is called a Turing complete language. You know, you can have arrays, you can add increment, have loops. And so now we have these smart contracts which can do a lot more than just move money from place to place. And what we've done at Intercoin is we've built a suite of a growing number of applications on top of Ethereum to serve communities. We can have elections, we can have contests, we can have a universal basic income that is paid out in the community's own currency. Now these applications go far beyond what Bitcoin does, which is just move money from peer to peer. These applications are about a community coming together, being able to govern itself, have secure elections and voting, and also transfer value in a way that you can actually reason about, have statistical um, reports about, and understand how the money is actually going around your community. And so I'll talk about how communities, how money is a community phenomenon in general, how you go into a casino and you have chips and inside that casino, the chips are the currency. But I really want to just finish out with the tech and say this, Ethereum pretty much generalized the, how much application, what you can do with crypto, but it's not scalable. So Intercoin consists of two things. One, we build applications for communities, not peer-to-peer -peer only. We're, so in that sense, we are going far beyond what crypto is currently able to do. And we're creating a kind of application layer of crypto that is, can be used by anyone, grandmas, etc., And it can be used like a social network. But if Ethereum doesn't get its act together and these blockchains don't become fast, we also have a plan for that. We're not going to wait for Ethereum 2.0. We're raising money to build the Intercoin protocol. And we want the Intercoin protocol to be just like all the other protocols of Web 1.0 and 2.0, the early internet, before crypto, which is to say that there is no bottleneck for email. There are no miners. There is no central computer where, um, that has to see every email and put it in a block. That's why no one ever asked how many emails can the SMTP protocol support per second. Obviously, the more computers engage, they can all engage at the same time. And the same thing with the web. How many websites can the internet support? Well, the bigger the network, the more it can support because there is no single point through which all transactions must go. And these early crypto networks like Bitcoin and Ethereum are based on proof of work blockchain. And people think that blockchain is like the next hot thing, but it does have a fatal flaw, which is that it runs this thing called global consensus. Every so often there's a new block and every node on the network has to, has to block it's gonna be, which chain they're gonna mine the next block on. And that consensus is very expensive. Imagine trying to get 10,000 people to agree on something every five seconds, right? You're not going to get a very good system, but it turns out you don't need global consensus to happen every 10 minutes or every five seconds. It can happen once a month to just do a checkpoint. But mostly money is being spent locally and there's absolutely no need to 
secure a $1 transaction with all that firepower. And so that's the mismatch right now. Crypto is not being used in the, um, basically it's not being used in the mainstream because even a $1 transaction gets the same amount of security as a $1 million transaction. And that's a problem. And that's a problem that Interpoint solves with its platform. That, uh, that definitely is a very good explanation and uh, a, a good intro for, uh, for our uh, listeners. What is your vision, Greg, for Intercoin in the next five years from now? I would say that Intercoin in the next five years is going to continue to develop and grow. Intercoin will um, release the applications on the blockchain. Our, our short-term roadmap includes um, getting those applications audited for security purposes before we release them to the public. Those applications are currently running on top of the Ethereum protocol, like I said. It's, it does everything that we want it to do. We can have communities now adopt this thing. If you wanted to start your own small community for your own community, your own token, you can do that with Intercoin. If you want to start a contest to reward people in your token, you can do that. If you are paying people out, like we're paying here with Intercoin, you know, Norman uh, has often been asking me, okay, when are we gonna pay our consultants? They're waiting to get paid. And you don't want to give away the keys to the main wallet. So we came up with a contract for paying people out and setting limits and hiring managers who you know have certain powers to pay out certain people and not. And then you have a universal basic income, which essentially says there's no managers. You just pay out based on just membership in a group. So people can join groups and just receive money. For example, if you're a poet, and you're an aspiring poet, maybe you can join the poet society and some of those royalties that they get can be used to sponsor new people. Or maybe you're a university student and the alumni of the university would like to sponsor the students to get food, books, etc. kind of like a UBI scholarship. However, they want to see how the students are actually being using this money. So all of this is possible now with Intercoin. So the next roadmap includes getting the contracts, uh, uh, third-party security audits, making sure there's no exploits that people know about. Because these contracts will be immutable. And the next step is to launch the Intercoin app on the stores. Now, we're talking about the um, essentially consumer app on iOS and Android. We have a lot of experience as a team building those apps. Uh, you know, Intercoin is my second company. At my first company, Cubix. We've already released a few apps in the stores that have gone on to get 9 million downloads in 95 countries. There's people all around the world using our apps, like groups and calendars. That's so really impressive. Have... Yeah. And uh, just so that our listeners can grasp a, a point that, that could be useful in understanding Intercoin, uh, do you, what would you say to our listeners that the, uh, the differences between the DeFi and the altcoins, what would be the main difference between them uh, in, in a simple way that uh, they, can, they can understand? The DeFi and the altcoins difference? Yeah. So DeFi refers to decentralized finance. Right. And essentially it's the fintech that you might think of, you know, in the past, um, 
all the kind of financial innovation. However, it's being done on the Ethereum blockchain typically. The DeFi typically runs uh, as tokens like, first you needed stable coins, so you could essentially have a component that represents a dollar, more or less. So every one of these companies like Gemini or Bitfinex you know, has USDT and, uh, and so on. Uh, they all have something that represents a dollar so you could trade against it. Then you've got essentially these smart contracts running on the Ethereum blockchain. Remember how I said with the web, you can just deploy some code and suddenly your website is live to the whole world, right? right. So, so that could enable anybody from anywhere in the world to develop some piece of software. And the platform and the protocol enables it to go all around the world. Now with Web 3.0 Ethereum, um, you can transfer value as part of your operation. So they have these things called dApps, decentralized apps. And it's a mix of essentially the web browser plus the Ethereum, you know, backend. So you might, your private keys are stored in a browser extension called MetaMask, for example, or they're stored in your wallet. And then they're fed into the, the browser window to be used by the website whenever the website requests for certain transactions to be signed. So there's all this proliferation of new DeFi technologies that are a mix of essentially front-end dApps and sort of a back-end that consists of ingenious ways to like manage crypto economics together. <clears throat> and so you've got all these different things. And so at Intercoin, we like to say that we're developing DeFi 2.0 because the next generation of DeFi, again, is not just about trading. Stable coins already exist, and that's really cool. It's a building block. But there's more to life than just trying to trade and do yield farming and try to grow and grow and grow your, your stuff or to speculate on it. In fact, there's real applications that communities need. And like I've been talking about, for example, if you want to pay out your own employees, you want to have an application for that. If you want to have a contest and judges to reward contestants for building something for your community and end up with a usable product, you can do that. If you want to release your own token in a way that's compliant with regulations, and if you want to give out a UBI in, in that token. And finally, if you want to understand how the money is moving around in your economy and have votes and elections, <clears throat> you know, these elections this year have shown that <clears throat> there's a real need for a reliable system that people can point to and say, yeah, my vote has been counted and I have proof that it's been included in the total. So, so these are kinds of things that we build at Intercoin. And they're not necessarily even about earning money. Like the voting thing is not even about that. But they use blockchain and they use crypto. And once the Intercoin platform launches, they will no longer use blockchain. They'll be beyond blockchain. And you're going to hear it first here. <laughs> I, I'm coining, I've, we've coined a new term, no pun intended. Uh, and it's uh, not blockchain. It's CoinNet. So the Intercoin um, platform or protocol is going to have coin nets instead of blockchains. And what that means is essentially, a blockchain is a chain of blocks. So each block represents all transactions in the world that wound up on the ledger. And the miner that creates the block is one particular computer in the world that took a bunch of transactions and secured them with a hash, a solution to the hash problem. Now, that's an extreme bottleneck, having every transaction in the world be funneled through one computer. 
So we needed a new term because we're not creating blocks that are global for every transaction in the world. It's not a blockchain. It is a coin net. So intercoin consists of coins that are essentially going from person to person. These coins are watched only by a small subset of the network. But whenever these coins accumulate in one place, for example, if they're deposited with a smart contract, and now that smart contract owns those coins, then that value brings with it all the watchers of those coins in one place. Suddenly, for the time that a lot of value is being deposited in a smart contract, during that time, you have a lot of watchers from the network. The more coins, the more value, the more watchers. But as that smart contract sends those coins elsewhere, the watchers go with those coins. And so at every point, the amount of security is proportional to the amount of value that's stored. And that's the difference. In current blockchain, the amount of security is always the same. It's the full network's security, no matter how small the transaction. And that's why the transaction fees are always the same. And that's why they can be super high if everyone's trying to transact at once. But with the coin net, it's just like you have with web and HTTP and, and so on, other protocols, which is that everyone can transact at once. And the amount of security for any transaction is proportional to the size of that transaction. So if you're sending $1, your uh, fee will not be $100. It will be closer to one cent or less. So do that's you, the difference. Do you, do you feel that, that with this intercoin uh, rally that we are experiencing right now, have you seen a, a lot of uh, increases in the interest uh, uh, in the interest for uh, about the project about intercoin you mean the bitcoin rally and the ethereum yes. yeah yeah right now i mean there's times you know there's these punctuated equilibria these uh times when these things just jump so last year early in the year i was worried about a recession and um that's because already you know the yield curve had inverted and many analysts were pointing to a potential recession but after, and also after the coronavirus situation, businesses closing and the lockdowns, there was certainly a risk of even a depression. But the governments came through in terms of Keynesian stimulus, Keynesian stimulus. They basically printed a lot of money, and let's say they, they, they shoved it into businesses. They they gave, they mailed people twelve hundred dollar checks. So if you fast forward to the end of, of last year, twenty twenty, we see a lot of money that people are then looking to spend and some of it is disposable income so they save it so if you look at coinbase i think they said that their biggest uh most frequent amount was twelve hundred dollars exactly the amount of checks that was held out uh so that means that uh people just took that twelve hundred dollar check and bought with it something in the crypto ecosystem probably bitcoin is the gateway because it's the most famous and then, it, and then they, 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 um, they store it, and now it's in the crypto ecosystem. So chances are it's going to stay there. And um, the other thing that happened, though, last year is that the government allowed banks to start custodying crypto. And this is the watershed moment, because this means mainstream adoption by mainstream institutions. You'll soon see pension funds, banks, and others buying these crypto assets as reserves, certainly Bitcoin in the beginning, but like I said, that's the first generation. But they're going to have these assets as reserves, which creates demand for them. And of course, we know there's a limited supply of each of these things. So that means 
assets like Bitcoin will go up in price as more and more pension funds will buy it. In fact, if your pension fund will buy it, why not just buy it yourself, right? So also the people are going to keep buying it. Now, having said that, if your Bitcoin is worth 3x what it was worth before, you're going to look around. As if, you, if you had Bitcoin before this rally and you just made 300% return, you might want to diversify your gains and buy some new projects. Because like I said, if you keep your money still safe, uh, stored forever in MySpace or Friendster or something like that, there's going to come a time when eventually it's going to go down. Now, that time might not be right now. That time may be in five years from now when Bitcoin goes up to $1 million, right? It, relative to dollars, all assets are going to go up indefinitely because there's an inflation rate, right? So 3% per year, every asset is going to go up forever. However, there's going to be a point where Bitcoin essentially is going up at the inflation rate. And even before that point, there's going to be competitors, networks where they can do everything that Bitcoin does, but then they can also allow you to do things like voting like on the blockchain or spending money or community projects or whatever. Those kinds of things are going to attract holders of Bitcoin or holders. They're going to say, well, I'm still in the crypto ecosystem. I'm not going back to fiat, but I'm going to uh, put in these projects. And we saw this, this year, it's called how much crypto is locked in DeFi, right? So you, you put up a DeFi protocol and that money might not necessarily go to a specific company. It could be a decentralized ecosystem, but people can then go and look at Chainlink. They can look at uh, Uniswap, which is a huge uh, trading platform. They can park their Ethereum in all of these different, uh, all of these different projects. And if a project is really good, and the money just stays there. And so the last thing I want to say about that is once you go there, you don't go back a lot of the time. Because if that system is user-friendly and, and it's growing and there's more people discovering it, then there will be a big period of time that that system is going up. And that system's token is, is growing faster than Bitcoin. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is if there is a version of Bitcoin that's synthetic, on that network, just like tethers are in crypto, why would you go back to dollars and pay the fees, right? Same thing. Why would you go back to Bitcoin and pay the fees if you can essentially have a Bitcoin anytime you want by just going to a synthetic Bitcoin? So I think what's going to happen is networks that solve a real need, grow their, their critical mass and keep growing and their token keeps going up in price are going to attract Bitcoin holders and then once people get in there, if they have a synthetic Bitcoin in their network, people aren't going to cash back out. So that's really the idea is put out your system, allow people to create synthetic coins on it, uh, innovate on it. And you're going to see that the next wave of crypto is going to be, whether people like it or not, I think people are going to love it, is going to be a wealth transfer, not from fiat into Bitcoin or crypto. Is going to be a now a wealth transfer from the first generation projects like Bitcoin and Ethereum into projects that are more scalable, more useful. And essentially, all the prices that you're going to see on the markets are going to be, you know, the, the currency pair is going to be with Bitcoin. <laughs> so in other words, exactly. you're, we're, at some point, we're going to talk about prices in Bitcoin, not prices in dollars. <laughs> that's, uh, that's very interesting. And I completely agree with uh what you're saying, what, uh, what do you, how do you respond to the skeptics out there on Intercoin? 
any of you. Well, uh, go ahead, Norman. I think uh, I'll let you take uh, this one. Yeah, so I think the main thing, right, is just to look at the reality of, like, what's happening in, like, the crypto world, right? You see, again, like, all these crypto assets, like, they're appreciating, sure, and you're, you know, if you bought them, you're doing well. But at the end of the day, like, they're not, you know, they're not being used in real-world applications, like, actual payments, right? And like Greg explained earlier, it's because they weren't designed to do that from the start, right? And so if you look at the, if you read the actual Intercoin white paper and the technicals of it, you see that like our system is actually like designed to scale, right? And so that's why we're basically, you know, it, it depends on like what specifically like skeptics are like skeptic about, like, you should not be skeptical. You should like, there's a lot of reasons to be skeptical, right? But I think if you're skeptical about like real world, like application, like that's the one thing that like, I think we can have full confidence that we're going to do better than like any of the other crypto projects out there. So, you know, that, that would be my answer to you, Carlos, for like, you know, depending on like what people are skept skeptical about. Yeah, I would say skepticism is multifaceted, right? One person could be skeptical about the name recognition of Intercoin. That's why we named it Intercoin, because we wanted people to say, ah, coin, okay, I get it, Bitcoin. And what is Intercoin? What's so different about it? Oh, the inter part talks about how it's the Intercoin between communities. And once they start realizing it's architected like the internet, everything comes together. So the brand recognition was designed from the start. People could also have a skeptic be skeptical about, hey, maybe uh, there's not going to be adoption. Where are your users going to come from? But the thing is um, that this is, not our uh, this is not our first project. Intercoin is building on top of an existing social network that Cubix, a social platform that Cubix has put together. My first company, Cubix, has been around since 2010. We took a quarter million dollars uh, in investment. We've gone on to generate a million dollars in revenues. And uh, this past year, I think it's around 350000 that we made in gross revenue. Um, and it's growing. Now, we, that's not, the revenue is not the important part. The important part is we have users, 2,000 people a day downloading our apps. So we have a large user base. And these users are not just your everyday user. These users are leaders of small communities like a yoga studio, or a small religious organization or a church. So the next step will be to attract larger communities like cities, townships. And we already are in talks with some of these, uh, including um, in Illinois and including uh, in uh, outside the United States, like in South Africa. Uh, if cities go on to put funds into Intercoin, it's going to allow them to have their own currency. You know, a lot of these city projects like the Bristol Pound and so on had a lot of benefits by, by kind of nudging people constantly to spend locally in their own community and, you know, frequent the local merchants rather than the big box stores like Amazon. Um, and they also um, enable the merchants to rather pay their local employees because they, you know, the, up, the upstream vendors in other countries will not accept that currency. So this currency strengthens the local economy, but the problem with these so it said it costs too much, costs too much to print, 
cost too much to oversee and deal with fraud and all this stuff. So if you're able to use crypto to secure all these things and have your own currency, that is a huge application. Think about how many communities there are in the world, cities, sure. let alone all the communities in the world. So to say, you know, so Intercoin solving a real need. And we're, we're here to say to all the people that have Bitcoin and Ethereum, that's great. Like you, you have basically understood that like using technology rather than the legacy banking system is definitely like you can tell that, you know, your money, your transactions are more reliable. Right. Um, and so on. Um, but, you know, I'm here to tell them also that storing your money is not the end game. Right. Because you're going to have to eventually use your money in the crypto ecosystem. And that's what Intercoin is all about. It's about helping communities realize the potential of crypto in their everyday transactions, in their everyday economies, strengthen their economies. That's what Intercoin is all about. And essentially, we're happy that the money's been moved into the crypto ecosystem like Ethereum and, uh, and Bitcoin, because now with stable coins and so on, there are real building blocks and this is considered real money. So you can buy Intercoin by going to intercoin.org, filling out the form and getting on the whitelist. And then all you have to do is send Ethereum to a given address that it is on the website. And immediately that address will send you Intercoins. In other words, you don't have to talk to anybody. You don't have to do anything. You just go ahead and fill out the form, wait till you get whitelisted. And at that point, you're in the network. And at that point, you can autonomously buy uh, Intercoin from the smart contract. So that's just the beginning. And in the next few years, you're going to see Intercoin being adopted in many different ways. But also, I would just ask the skeptics, what about the election right now? Don't you think people need secure elections? Who's doing that? Are you going to do that on Bitcoin? That's, yeah. that's, that's That hits home right away because uh, we're watching and going through it as we speak. That's right. That's right. We just had a bunch of people storm the Capitol building because they believe the election was rigged. Well, I'm sure people around the world and governments around the world would like to see more stability in terms of elections and voting. Those that do, and in, in, indeed towns and universities and other smaller organizations might want to have access to the same technology. This is what technology does. It democratizes access to things that were previously available only to kings and large organizations available to everybody. And so that's what Intercoin does. And to use it, you would have to deposit Bitcoin or Ethereum. And the chances are we're going to have an, a synthetic version for you waiting on the other side. So if you're done using your thing and you just want to go back to Bitcoin for a while, storing your thing and you believe the Bitcoin assets going to go up instead of Intercoin, no problem. Um, so most people will just, wind up, Intercoin is going to be one of those hopefully successful projects that attracts a lot of the crypto money into it. And so the amount of money locked in Intercoin is going to hopefully grow and grow if we execute our roadmap and we get our millions of users from Cubix to start deploying Intercoin apps in their own local communities. Well, I definitely, it, uh, this uh, chat was a very... Uh, very exciting one, and I am. I thank both of you for your time, 
And uh, I hope to have you soon again uh, as a follow-up and let us know more about uh, how the roadmap is working out. And uh, if you'd like to share with our listeners anything else, a message or anything, uh, the, the floor is yours. And uh, thanks again for uh, giving me some time to uh, share with my listeners what Intercoin is about. Yeah, my message is simply this. Right now we're in phase of expansion. Uh, you know, we have already a large network of users from our first company. Uh, we have a track record of taking investment and generating large revenues that exceed the investments. And we're a passionate and dedicated team. You know, there's a lot of crypto projects that took money in 2017 and had no idea what they're going to do next. They just had a token. We did it the other way. We first built and architected the, the actual social platform. And Intercoin is essentially building crypto applications on top of it whether that's payment, whether that's governance, voting, or any of a number of other things like payouts, UBI, and contests. We've already built the code. And so if you are a crypto investor and your money has gone up, uh, your value of your Bitcoin has gone up, consider that you might want to invest in an early stage project that has the potential to go up 50,000%. Uh, because Bitcoin's not going to go up 50,000% even if it goes to a million dollars. The new projects, the new Facebooks of the world or Googles of the world are starting now. They're starting all the time. You know, there will be a time when Intercoin is the old project and there will be something new. But at the, the moment... Intrinsic, uh, the intrinsic value is, is, is there on the, on the early stage projects. Bitcoin is, is already halfway developed at, uh, at the least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you invested your money in Bitcoin in 2012, you know, my hat's off to you. That's when I learned about Bitcoin, 2012. And at that time, it was still the jury was out whether it would gain mainstream adoption by institutions. I think at this point, the jury came back in and rendered a verdict. Bitcoin's going up. It's going it's to be bit too big to fail. But the question is, you know, it's, it's just an asset like uh, diamonds or something. In other words, when a person buys Bitcoin, the dollars don't go into a black hole. They just go to the counterparty, right? So as Bitcoin goes up, now a lot of money is in the value is in the Bitcoin ecosystem. There's going to be a demand for more than just storing your value. So if you want to actually grow your value, perhaps more long term and have a potential to go up 50,000%, like the people who bought Bitcoin back when that was the big thing, uh, you should look for projects. And I would say, you know, as the founder of Intercoin, that we're doing everything we can to solve real problems for real communities. So if you believe in that, then not only can you uh, invest your money and grow it with, as more communities join this network, but also you could feel good that you're actually helping people and having a social impact all around the world by being an early investor. Well, thank you so much, Greg and Norman, for your time. This is a very, uh, you know, a very important topic that uh, we covered today. Thank you, and we'll be in touch. I will have a follow-up with you both. Have a good rest of the day. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks a lot. lot.